Well, on top of being able to welcome um, all of our distinguished guests, our visiting pastors here today, um, we also have a, a special guest speaker with us this morning as well, Reverend Tim Blackman. Tim grew up in The Hague in the Netherlands and came to America to attend uh, Calvin Theological Seminary, after which he went on to plant churches in California, um, after which he returned back to the Netherlands to pastor the church that he grew up in, made up of people from 55 different countries. Four years ago, he accepted the position as chaplain at Wheaton College and has agreed to be here today to share a message with us. Will you please join me in welcoming Reverend Tim Blackman. Thanks, sir. Very good morning, Dort College. What's good today? It's great to see you. It's great to worship with you. It feels like I've known so many people that have come here, uh, some who have come to faith here. So it feels like a bit of a homecoming for me. Uh, would, you, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I want to read this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So of, of all the metaphors Jesus could have chosen, he decided to use the metaphor of a small flock of sheep to describe this fledging, fledgling group of followers called his disciples. Now, I, I have to admit, having grown up in the city, I, 
I don't know the first thing about sheep. There's a good chance driving through the middle of nowhere to get here, some of you may know a thing or two about sheep. So I had to do some digging around on the interwebs to, to learn a thing or two. But the first thing that I found out about sheep, and you may already know this, but did you know that there's more than 100 ways sheep can die? Did you know this? There's more than 100 ways sheep can die. Now, I found this at the National Sheep Association website from the UK. It seemed reputable because there are 33 million sheep in England. So you would think since this is the official body governing sheep data, they would know it seemed reliable. But did you know that sheep can die when they get too much water in their fleece, in their wool, and they get waterlogged? They develop hypothermia, and then they die. I mean, who knew that that was a thing? Uh, they can conversely also uh, run out of water, and then they get thirsty, and then they die. Uh, or they can eat too much perennial ryegrass, develop tremors from neurogenic toxins, and then they die. Uh, some eat too much protein, others eat too much red clover, and they die. Uh, see, you do know a few things about sheep. I mean, who, who knew that too much protein would be an issue for sheep? Uh, other sheep are born as twins, and they get twin lamb disease, where only one of the two twins survives and then they die. Others get fly strike and from what I'm told uh, this is a particularly nasty form of the maggots and then they die. Now the saddest thing of all of these was that 20 to 30 percent of a particular kind of sheep called merino sheep, some of you may right now be wearing a merino wool sweater or a merino wool beanie or socks. Did you realize that 20 to 30 percent of merino wool sheep actually get abandoned by their mothers and then they die? All of a sudden you're not so comfortable wearing your little beanie and your socks. Because the lambs are basically left to fend for themselves, and then, then they die. Now, I, I, I could go on. There's, like, there's 98 other reasons that a sheep can die. But one of the most puzzling deaths that I learned of recently, and this one didn't actually even make the list of the National Sheep Association. Let's call it the 101st way a sheep can die. Happened last year. Uh, Gordon Wyeth, a farmer of the West Dean Estate in Chichester, West Sussex in England, discovered 116 sheep dead one morning. Now, never, never mind the fact that this cost him 17,000 pounds, but how in the world do 116 sheep die in one night. So he, he gets out in the fields, and the morning he shows up, and his sheep, many of whom are pregnant, have been herded together, I have a picture of it actually, herded together, tight up against the fence, and there is this gate gathering up right against this woodland, and they look like they're, they've died either from shock or by being crushed, but get this, here is, here is the cause of death. I, I could have never get this. Sergeant Tom Carter of the Sussex Police said, listen to this, that he was all but 100% certain that the deaths were caused 
by dogs. Now, it's not not what you think. It's not because they were mauled by dogs, but the sheep got spooked. It is a phenomenon, I kid you not, called sheep worrying. The police officer said this. This is Tom Carter. He says, I have never seen or heard of sheep worrying on this scale before, and it was a terrible sight. While there are no signs of any of the sheep being savaged, we are all but 100% certain that their deaths were brought about by dogs. So did you get this? So 116 sheep are dead, and they are dead by sheep worrying, death by worry, death by anxiety. So there are, there are no bite marks, no bloody gashes, no sign of actual attack. There's no disfigurement. It is death by barking. I mean, I mean who, could have, who invents like sheep worrying? It is apparently, it's a thing. Apparently in England, there's actually a law against sheep worrying. You're not allowed to let your dog just roam around because they will worry the sheep. It is death by teeth. It is death by aggression, death by barking. Now these sheep, they're, they're afraid to death that they are going to get eaten alive. They are afraid of Death by fang, death by lateral incisors. They are, the dogs were all bark, no bite. Again, there's no damage done. There's no actual wounding that's happening, but the sheep are worried to death. 116 sheep die because of anxiety, crushed by sheep worrying, death by sheep worrying. Now, if you have your Bibles open, Uh, chapter 12 of the book of Luke, and you see in the rest of the chapter, you can can understand why Jesus calls his group of disciples a little flock and why he talks to them about sheep worrying. Because in verse 4, earlier in the chapter, we didn't read this, but one of the people there is nervous about dying. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and have after that, nothing more that they can do. So, so they're, they're worried about being killed. We don't know why. The text doesn't tell us. But they're worried about physical death. Maybe they're afraid of being tortured. Maybe they're afraid of being beheaded or hung or crucified. Also in verse 11, look there. There are some who are anxious about what they might have to say when they are going to be brought up in charges before the authorities. And Jesus, don't you even worry about what you're going to say. Then in verse 13, in the middle of Jesus' teaching, there is a, there is a dispute, a domestic dispute. Two brothers invite Jesus into this domestic dispute. Grandpa's dead, and he's left a little nest egg. And both brothers now want to get their grubby little hands on the inheritance. And they yell out at Jesus while he's teaching, and they say, hey, teacher, Can you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? They're worried about the future. They're worried about a nest egg. And then right after that, Jesus tells a parable about a rich fool. And what does the rich fool do? He wants to secure his future by building larger and bigger barns. Now, in each of these scenarios... 
We're talking about sheep worrying. Someone is concerned about the future. Jesus knows that they are worried. He knows that they are anxious. He knows what you and I know, that there is 101 ways sheep can die, and there's 101 ways human beings can die. They're worried about death by hanging. They're worried about being brought up on charges. They are worrying about running out of money. They are worrying about their livelihoods. And so what do they do? They want to control. They want to grab. They want to clutch. They want to cling. They are, they are hanging on for dear life. I want you to notice what Jesus does in his teaching here. He actually acknowledges their concerns. Jesus acknowledges that anxiety is a universal experience. He doesn't say, I oh, don't have anything to worry about. Life is going to be okay. No, he actually, he actually shows us that their, their fears are legitimate and not completely misplaced. Look at verse 29. He says, for, for all the nations of the world, they seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you're worried. He knows that you are anxious. Because Jesus knows that to be human is to worry. Worry and anxiety is an inevitable part of the human condition. It is universal. And I imagine that if I were to ask every single one of you in this room right now what your concerns might be, or what your worries would be. I imagine that every single one of you has at least one. Some of you are worried about money. Some of you are worried about your mental health. Some of you just came back from a time with family, Thanksgiving that was supposed to be encouraging and restful, and instead it was fraught with anxiety because your parents are getting a divorce and you're wondering if they're going to make it. I imagine that some of you are, are wondering and you're worried about whether or not you're going to be able to shake an addiction that you have. Some of you are worried about graduating and about your grades and about finding a spouse and about finding a job and wondering what life looks like. If you're a pastor, I know all the untold worries that you might have. There's 101 ways we know how to die. To be human is to worry. To be alive is to be anxious. And Jesus shows us that it is a normal part of everyday existence. But what, what, the reason why I want to share this particular passage with you is, is it's really for one single reason. And it's found in verse 32. Because in verse 32, we actually find Jesus' antidote to worry. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. Do not be afraid, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, one of the things that I always find a little disturbing about Jesus' teachings is that he, he nowhere actually defines what the kingdom is. But he gives us these, these images. He says, well, the kingdom of God is it's like a widow who's lost a precious coin and she turns the house upside down just to find it. The kingdom of God is like 
a merchant who is walking through a field and he finds this treasure. And in order to find, to have the treasure, to obtain it, he sells absolutely everything he has. The kingdom of God is like a father who has two sons. The kingdom of God is like a sower. So there's nowhere where he gives us like this textbook definition of what the kingdom of God is like. But the, the sense is if you put all of them together, the kingdom of God is, here, here's like my, my best attempt at defining it is. Everything that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been doing from before the beginning of time to redeem you, to save you, and to give you life. All of that, the cumulative redemptive impact of what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always done, are doing now, and will continue to do forever is the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? I'm going to get at least an amen over here. I heard him worship. At least they have a brother over here who knows. Everything the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have ever done, will always do, are doing right now, is given to you as a gift. Now, normally when we, when we think of the kingdom of God, we say, well, that's something we build or something we serve. But no, here, here what we see is that the kingdom of God is a gift to you. So he says, the, the reason why you don't need to worry, the reason why you don't need to lose any sleep, the reason why death by sheep worrying should be of no concern to you is because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are giving you the gift as a kingdom. If, if you look at what comes right after that, he says, this is, this is why I want you to be able to live freely. He says, get, grab a money bag that never goes empty. Don't even worry about your money. Don't even worry about your inheritance. Don't even worry about the ministry that you are going to engage in because you are doing it with the deep assurance that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have given you the kingdom as a gift. Now, when I was a... When I was a child growing up in the Netherlands, the, the towering figures in my life were my grandparents. My, my grandparents were the pastors of two small Baptist churches in a small town, Almelo uh, and Oman in the Netherlands. And here's actually a picture of my, my grandparents. Uh, that's my mom there on the left with the swanky glasses. And my my, my grandfather served two small churches and never actually had much of a salary. Uh, they lived off the land, and if they needed something, the greengrocer would come by and drop up some vegetables for, uh, for the family, for my mom and her uh, eventually three other siblings. If they needed bread, somebody would come by and drop off bread. Chicken would show up all of a sudden. And uh, one of the things that I loved about my grandparents is they were... Uh, they were courageous, and they had a deep sense of what Luke chapter 12 talks about. Now, my mom was born in 1943, and as you might imagine, uh, that was right in the middle of World War II. And right in the middle of the war, the Waffen-SS confiscated my grandfather's church building so that it could be a regional headquarters for the SS soldiers. Now, there's something you got to know about my grandfather. You didn't want to mess with my grandfather. At one point, he had an altercation with a German officer who wanted to take his bicycle from him. So imagine this. Here's my grandfather. He's a stout, stern, 
Bible-believing preacher man. And you did not want it. I mean, the soldier had no idea what he was in for. So the soldier says, that bike, I want it. And my grandfather looks at him and says, young man, what is your name? And what is your rank? And what is the name of your commanding officer? Because this bike does not belong to you. And my, now, if you know anything about World War II, if you spoke to a German officer this way, there was a good chance you would get shot on the spot. They wouldn't even bother you shipping you on a train to a concentration camp. So my, my little grandmother is like, Yope, Yope, do not need Lati Malnacham, Lati Fitznacham. He's like, Yope, Yope, please just let the man go. Give him your bicycle. And my grandfather was undeterred. He said, this bicycle belongs to the kingdom of God. It is not his prerogative. God has provided for it. It does not belong to the kingdom of Satan. Young man, what is your name and rank number? And so he just talks to this guy. So at one point, the, the building of the church gets taken over. I have a picture of it, actually. It's still there. And the church sanctuary we met at the bottom, and then the top floor was confiscated as the regional headquarters. And I actually also have a picture of me and my grandparents on the front steps of that building. It's still there. It's a hotel right now and a restaurant. You can still eat there. So top floor, the Germans are. And so my grandfather and grandmother decided it's a good idea to begin hiding Jewish families and Dutch resistance workers in the basement of the same building. Now, I, I remember, and, and this is a story that my grandmother has told me probably 50 times. I remember asking my grandmother, I said, Grandmother, you know, with, like, with, with all due respect, what were you thinking? Like, really, in the same building. So down below, Jewish families, resistance workers, are being hidden. And my grandparents just said, you know what? We figured that that would be the last place people would look. <laughs> and, and so I, I remember asking my grandmother, said, was there ever, I mean, how did you even provide for all these people? you got like 12 to 18 people living in the basement. It's not like you have a high-paying job yourself. Did you ever worry about running out of food? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Tim, in the kingdom of God, you will always have enough. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, they knew that. And I said, Grandma, was there ever a point where you feared for your life, when you were afraid. And she would say naturally, says, Tim, of course, we were afraid all the time. We were constantly nervous that we would get detected. But fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I'd ask her, I said, was there ever, was there ever a time when you had a close call where you thought you were going to get detected or the hideouts were going to get found. And she said, yeah, there was, there was one time. It was a Sunday evening, and the entire church building was supposed to be empty. The Sunday activities had gone past and were done with, and she, my grandmother was uh, cleaning up in the kitchen adjacent to the fellowship hall and the sanctuary. And it was 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, and uh, she was met in the sanctuary by one of the German officers who'd gone to the kitchen uh, to get a glass of milk or something like that. And while he was walking through the sanctuary, 
they both heard a disturbance coming from below, from the basement. And my grandma said that it was one of those moments where, where he knew that I knew, that she knew that he knew that there was something not right. And she knew that in this instant, they had been found out. And she said, I'll never forget what happened in those next few moments because they ended up defining my entire life. The soldier looked at her, eyes wide open, and he motioned to her and pointed to the basement. And then he walked over to the church organ at the front of the sanctuary and he began to play hymns, Lutheran hymns, that he had heard while he was a child growing up in a German church. She knew that in that moment, the kingdom of God had protected her. In that moment, she knew that she need not be afraid. She said that there were several instances throughout that time, throughout those cold winter months in the war where they feared for their lives, where this German soldier ended up becoming an ally for them. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, Nord College, I have, I have no idea what kind of worries you have right now. I don't know what kind of concerns you have for your life and for your well-being and for your safety. But hear this promise from the Lord Jesus to you, to whatever it is that concerns you and keeps you up. Fear not, little flock, because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yes, you will be anxious. Yes, you'll be worried. Yes, there are 101 ways you can die. But fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Would you stand for a closing benediction? Keeping in mind the 101 ways that you can die, I want you to hear this good word from God. God, go before you to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to sustain you. And God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. But may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you always. Do not be afraid, but go in peace. Amen.